Chapter eighty five of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lafano. Chapter eighty five. In which Captain Deparo hears the news and mr dangerfield meets an old friend after dinner on the night when this great sorrow visited the elms captain richard devereux who had heard nothing of it was strangely saddened and disturbed in mind they say that a distant death is sometimes felt like the shadow and chill of a passing iceberg and if this ominous feeling crosses a mind already saddened and embittered it overcasts it with a feeling akin to despair mrs irons knocked at his door and with the eagerness of a messenger of news opened it without awaiting his answer oh captain jewel do you know what there's poor miss lily walsingham and what do you think but she's dead the poor little thing gone to-night sir not half an hour ago he staggered a little and put his hand toward his sword like a man struck by a robber and looked at her with a blank stare she thought he was out of his mind and was frightened tis only me sir mrs irons uh thank you and he walked towards the chimney and then towards the door like a man looking for something and on a sudden clasping his forehead in his hands he cried a wild and terrible appeal to the maker and judge of all things tis impossible oh no oh no it's not true he was in the open air he could not tell how and across the bridge and before the elms a dream the dark elms dark everything oh no it can't be oh no oh no and he went on saying as he stared on the old house dark against the sky oh no oh no two or three times he would have gone over to the hall door to make inquiry but he sickened at the thought he clung to that hope which was yet not a hope and he turned and walked quickly down the river's side by the intracore road but the anguish of suspense soon drew him back again and now his speech was changed and he said yes she's gone she's gone oh she's gone she's certainly gone he found himself at the drawing-room window that looked into the little garden at the front of the house and tapping at the window-pane he remembered all of a sudden it was like waking how strange was a summons a little after he saw a light crossing the hall he rang the doorbell john tracy opened the door yes it was all true the captain was looking very pale john thought but otherwise much as usual he stared at the old servant for some seconds after he told him all but said nothing not even good night and turned away old john was crying but he called after the captain to take care of the step at the gate and as he shut the hall door his eye caught by the light of his candle a scribbling in red chalk on the white doorpost and he stooped to read it and muttered 
them mischievous young blackguards and began rubbing it with the cuff of his coat his cheek still wet with tears for even our grief is volatile or rather it is two tunes that are in our ears together the requiem of the organ and with it the faint hurdy-gurdy jig of our vulgar daily life and now and then this latter uppermost it was not till he had got nearly across the bridge that captain Devereux, as it were waked up it was no good waking he broke forth into sheer fury it is not my business to note down the horrors of this impious frenzy it was near five o'clock when he came back to his lodgings and then not to rest to sit down to rise again to walk round the room and round and stop on a sudden at the window leaning his elbows on the sash with hands clenched together and teeth set and so those demoniac hours of night and solitude were slowly away and the cold grey stole over the east and Devereux drank a deep draught of his fiery letha and cast himself down on his bed and fell at once into a deep exhausted lethargy when his servant came to his bedside at seven o'clock he was lying motionless with flushed cheeks and he could not rouse him perhaps it was well and saved him from brain fever or madness but after such paroxysms comes often a reaction a still stony awful despondency it is only the oscillation between active and passive despair poor leonora after she had worked out her fit tearing her raven hair and reviling heaven was visited in sadder and tenderer guise by the vision of the past but with that phantom went down in fear and isolation to the grave this morning several of the neighbours went into dublin for the bills were to be presented against charles nutter for a murderous assault with intent to kill made upon the person of barnabas sturk esq doctor of medicine and surgeon of the royal irish artillery as the day wore on the honest gossips of chapel Isid looked out anxiously for news and everybody who met any one else asked him any news about nutter eh and then they would stop to speculate and then one would wonder that dr walsingham's man clinton had not yet returned and the other would look at his watch and say twas one o'clock and then both agreed that spate at all events must soon come for he has appointed two o'clock for looking at that brood mare of fagin's at last sure enough spate appeared toole who had been detained by business in another quarter had ridden into the town from lickslip and was now dismounted and talking with major o'neill upon the absorbing topic these cronies saw spate at the turnpike and as he showed his ticket he talked with the man of course the news was come the turnpike man knew it by this time and off scampered tool and the major followed close at his heels at double quick he made a dismal shake or two of his head and lifted his hand as they drew near tool's heart misgave him well how is it what's the news he panted 
a true bill answered spate with a solemn stare a true bill sir toole uttered an oath of consternation and taking the words out of spate's mouth told the news to the major do you tell me so exclaimed the major be dad sir i'm uncommon sorry a bad business sir observed spate no worse said toole if they convict him on this you know in case dirk dies and die he will they'll indict and convict him on the more serious charge and he winked gloomily the evidence is all one that poor little sally nutter ejaculated the major she's to be pitied the crater tis mighty slender evidence to take a man's life on said toole with some disgust by the law sir the whole thing gives me a complete turn are you to dine with colonel strafford to-day i am sir said the major and it goes again the colonel's grain to have a party at all just now with the respect he has for the family up there and he nodded his head pensively toward the elms but he asked low ten days ago and mr dangerfield and two or three more and you know he could not put them off on that ground there being no relationship you see and pon my oath sir i'd rather not go myself just now that evening at five o'clock colonel stafford's dinner party assembled at the king's house the colonel was a serene man and hospitality even had he been in the dumps demands her sacrifices he therefore did the honors as beseemed a genial and courteous old officer of the royal irish artillery who if his conversation was not very remarkable in quality and certainly not exorbitant in quantity made up by listening a great deal and supplying no end of civility and an affluence of very pretty claret mr justice lowe was there and mr dangerfield and old colonel bligh of the magazine and honest major o'neill notwithstanding his low spirits perhaps they required keeping up and claret like colonel stafford's is consoling the talk turned of course a good deal on charles nutter and mr dangerfield who was in good force and indeed in particularly pleasant spirits except when unfortunate nutter was actually under discussion when he grew grave and properly saddened told in his clear biting way a curious rosary of newgate stories of highwaymen's disguises of clever constables of circumstantial evidence marvellously elicited and exquisitely put together of monsters long concealed drawn from the deep by the finest tackle into upper light and dropped deftly into the landing net of justice these curious anecdotes of bow street dexterity and bagshot dodges thrust and parry mine and countermine ending for the most part in the triumph of bow street justice crowned and a tyburn speech tickled low mightily who quite enjoyed himself and laughed more than his friend colonel stafford ever remembered to have heard him before over some of the ingenious stratagems described so neatly by dangerfield and the gay irony with which he pointed his catastrophes and lo actually having obtained colonel stafford's leave 
proposed that gallant officer's health in a bumper and took occasion to mention their obligations to him for having afforded them the opportunity of enjoying mr dangerfield's sprightly and instructive sallies and hoped with all his heart that the neighbourhood was long to enjoy the advantage and pleasure of his residence among them and mr dangerfield replied gaily that all that was needed to make such sweet scenery and charming company as the place commanded absolutely irresistible was the sense of safety conferred by the presence of such a magistrate as mr low and the convivial inspiration of such wine as their gallant host provided and that for his part being somewhat of an old boy and having had enough of rambling nothing would better please him than to spend the residue of his days amidst the lively quietude of their virtuous and hilarious neighbourhood and some more to the like purpose which pleased the good company highly who all agreed that the white gentleman fluent easy and pointed in his delivery was a mighty fine speaker indeed though there was a lurking consciousness in each which none cared to publish that there was at times an indefinable flavour of burlesque and irony in mr dangerfield's compliments which excited momentary suspicions and qualms which the speaker waved off however easily with his jewelled fingers and smiled mockingly away low was mightily taken with him there was little warmth or veneration in that hard justice's nature but mr dangerfield had a way with him that few men with any sort of taste for the knowledge of evil could resist and the cold-eyed justice of the peace hung on his words with an attentive rapture and felt that he was drinking deep and pleasant draughts from the sparkling fountains of knowledge and was really sorry and shook him admiringly by the hand when dangerfield who had special business at home rose up in his brisk way and flashed a farewell over the company from his spectacles if mr dangerfield really means to stay here he must apply for the commission of the peace said mr low so soon as the door shut we must put it upon him i protest i never met a man so fitted by nature and acquirements to make a perfectly useful magistrate he and i sir between us we'd give a good account of this part of the county and there's plenty of work sir if twere only between this and dublin and by george sir he's a wonderful diverting fellow full of anecdote wonderful place london to be sure and a good man too in a quiet way said colonel strafford who could state a fact tisn't every rich man has the heart to part with his money as he does he has done many charities here and especially he has been most bountiful to poor stirk's family i know that said low and he sent a fifty-pound note by the major there to poor sally nutter's o monday last he'll tell you and thus it is as the foul fiend when he vanishes leaves a smell of brimstone after him a good man leaves a fragrance and the company in the parlour enjoyed the aroma of mr dangerfield's virtues as he buttoned his white shirt out over his breast and dropped his veils into the palms of the carbuncled butler and fuddled footman in the hall it was a clear frosty starlit night white and stern was the face which he turned upward for a moment to the sky 
he paused for a second in the ray of candlelight that gleamed through puddock's window shutter and glanced on the pale dial of his large gold watch it was only half-past eight o'clock he walked on glancing back over his shoulder along the dublin road the drunken beast my mind misgives me he'll disappoint muttered the silver spectacles gliding briskly onward when he reached the main street he peered curiously before him under the village tree in quest of carriage lights a lawless brute like that may be before his time as well as after so he walked briskly forward and up Stirk's doorsteps and knocked the dublin doctor hasn't come yet eh he asked no sir he isn't come yet twas nine o'clock the mistress told me very good tell mrs Stirk pray that i mr dangerfield you know will call as i promised at nine o'clock precisely and he turned again and walked briskly over the bridge and away along the Inchicore road overhanging the river all was silent there not a step but his own was stirring and the road in places so overhung with old trees that it was difficult to see a yard before one he slackened his pace and listened like a man who keeps an assignation and listened again and laughed under his breath and sure enough before long the clink of a footstep was heard approaching swiftly from the dublin direction mr dangerfield drew aside under the deep shadow of a high hawthorn hedge overhung by trees and watching intently he saw a tall lank figure with a peculiar gait and stoop of its own glide stealthily by he smiled after it in the dark the tall figure was that of our old friend zekiel irons the clerk a sable form as beseemed his ecclesiastical calling and now a white figure was gliding without noise swiftly after him suddenly as he reached an open part of the road a thin hand was laid on his shoulder and with a start and a hullo he sprung round hey why you're as frightened as if you had seen charles charles nutter eh don't be uneasy i heard from the parson yesterday morning you were to be with him tonight before nine o'clock about that money you left in his hands and i've chanced to meet you and this i want you to understand charles nutter is in jail and we must not let him get out do you see that business settled we're at rest so mr irons you must not show the white feather be bold speak out what you know now's the time to strike i'll put your evidence as you reported it to me into shape and you come to me tomorrow morning at eight o'clock and mind you i'll reward you this time and better than ever you fared before go on or stay i'll go before and mr dangerfield laughed one of his chilly laughs and with a nod to irons repeated eight o'clock and so walked on a little bit the clerk had not said a word a perspiration broke forth on his forehead and wiping the drops away he said lord have mercy upon us lord deliver us lord have mercy upon us like a dying man 
mr dangerfield's bold proposition seemed quite to overpower and unman him the white figure turned short facing the clerk and said he see you mr irons i'm serious there must be no shirking if you undertake you must go through and hark in your ear you shall have five hundred pounds i put no constraint say yes or no if you don't like you needn't justice i think will be done even without your help but till he's quiet you understand nothing sure he's been dead and alive again curse him until he's at rest and on the surgeon's table ha ha we shan't feel quite comfortable lord have mercy upon us muttered irons with a groan amen said dangerfield with a sneering imitation there tis enough if you have nerve to speak truth and do justice you may have the money we're men of business you and i if not i shan't trouble you any more if you like it come to me at eight o'clock in the morning if not why stay away and no harm's done and with these words mr dangerfield turned on his heel once more and started at a lively pace for chapel is it End of chapter 85 Recording by John Brandon